Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Uh, the camera's moving around all crazy and, yeah, and wild. Trying stuff out. Um, we're here. We're back. It's Monday. You're hearing this probably on Thursday, unless you're watching on the live stream. Welcome to the show. We're talking modern. We have some really exciting stuff to do today. Big shout out to Michael Grothy, producer, sitting in the room. Woo! What's up, Mike? Hey, everyone. How's it going? You should say it louder. Like, scream hey, hello. Everyone. There we go. That was Mike. He was the one that moved the camera during the pack war. If you guys are just tuning in uh, to the recorded stream uh, every week, we do the live stream at the beginning of the week, either Monday or Tuesday. Uh, when we do that, we start the episode with a pack war that you can either win packs uh, by being a, a listener who uh, one of us will be pack warring for or by being a Patreon member, uh, which the other one will be battling when for he last says a, week. When he says a listener, he means a streamer, somebody watching us live on stream. Correct. And then also the patrons. So if you're a, both a patron and a streamer, then you're entered to win. We have this Arid Mesa here was just given away. Uh, we just gave it away on the show. Yep. So that's exciting. And we'll be doing that every week because that grimoire is full of sweet packs. It's brought to you by Wizardry Foundry. Yeah, this, today um, we opened up We opened up a Modern Masters 3 and we opened up two packs to balance it out of Fallen Empires. Yes. So, so weird packs are in there. Don't you worry. Um, it is, you know... Get on the Patreon, get on the live stream, make sure to subscribe on YouTube to be able to do so. Um, and yeah, super exciting. Last yeah. week the Patreon got it, this week someone on the live stream got it. Um, speaking, and of, speaking of the YouTube, uh, it's been a very, very exciting road for us. We, we launched it about six weeks ago or just, just over. Uh, and we've been getting a, a good number of subscribers every week, which has been really cool for us. It's yeah. been fun to have a new place to interact. So check that out. If you haven't subscribed already, if you're listening to this, um, there is really exciting stuff coming in the pipeline for us, guys. Like really big opportunities to expand, get bigger guests, do more giveaways. And to do that, we really do need your support on the YouTube there. So just go to the MMCast YouTube, subscribe, become a member of that, and uh, it'll keep us keep us doing here what we're doing. So correct. Um, today on the show, we are going to be talking about counterfeits, Yes. the mostly cons, some of the pros that people have championed for that we want to discuss Mm -hmm. the reserve list uh and kind of the future of magic finance in that sense how how is magic finance going to survive right the stability of the game all of those things so that's that's today's conversation yeah so uh um, we'll get to where that came from in a second and the the last kind of big shout out before we get fully into the episode is right now we are in the second the last week of our kickstarter for our game battle bosses it's a cool game here's captain boat i can show it to you on camera um, he comes with the pirate minions. We worked really hard over the last two years to make this game. You know, we are hitting the final stretches. As we hit the final stretches, we need your guys' help to make it happen. Uh, if you can check it out, it's Battle Bosses on Kickstarter. Uh, this game is really fun. Every single review that's gone a handle of it has said that they love the game. You guys will love it too. Please check it out. It supports the podcast. It supports me. It supports us. Um, and we really appreciate your guys' help. Um, and yeah, just check it out. Donate. It's $30 for the, the, the tier that you get two bosses, or you can do the 121 that ha- comes with all of them, plus a bunch of other extra features. Um, and we really, really, really appreciate it. it from, the, from the depths of my heart, we've been you know, working really hard on this game, and we're excited for you guys to try it out. Um, it's a super sweet game. I endorse it fully. Not just as an employee of Kesco, but as somebody who plays games and enjoys it. Yeah. He keeps yeah. coming back. He's like, I want to play Battle Bosses every I enjoy morning. It. And we're yeah. like, you have to do work. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Set up the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Write the episode outline. I'm the one that writes the episode outlines. Uh, all right. So, uh, why, why, why are we... 
talking about we, this? Why are you talking about this? Well, there's a number of different articles that have come out recently. Um, so Saffron Olive is uh, prolific when it comes to writing interesting articles about the state of modern. One article recently suggested that the average price of a top-tier modern deck had gone up 26% since the beginning of the year. Um, now, that article paired with the conversation of counterfeits getting better and better and better, Generation 7 being what people are talking about right now, which is the sort of newest gen of counterfeits, mm-hmm. um, that they aren't just focusing on old reserve list cards anymore. They're actually focusing on like hologram-laden modern staples. Like It's right. a thing you can buy now. It's not just old stuff. It's not $1,000 cards. It's $40 cards and $60 cards. And it's because... There has been a lack of modern staple reprints readily available in these reprint sets. Masters 25 and uh, Iconic I Masters. I don't know if it's because of that. I think that anytime there's a commodity that's worth money, there's going to be people out. I mean, like one, there's going to be people out there making counterfeit products of it. I mean, even in the world of the toys that we're making, you know, we launched a spring summer toy line this last year, and we already have counterfeits on the market of the toys that we're making. So, like, I, I think counterfeiting in general is something yeah. that happens whenever you have something of any value. I don't mean that uh, the reason the counterfeits are happening exclusively is because of the lack of reprints in those sets, but I think the lack of reprints in those sets has the community up in arms about the cards, and there's a high demand for them for that reason. So not only... Are the people that are making the counterfeits making a tremendous amount of money on these things, but the people that want to acquire the cards are having to search for other means because they can't afford the market that's out there currently. I, I don't think that's that's even fair. Like they they're not being forced to do anything. Like you you coming that's fair. out, and that's we'll, fair. we'll get into that in a second. I mean, one of the reasons this became such such a hot topic is a because a new generation of these 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 have come out. There are now Reddit groups and Facebook groups designated towards creating these counterfeits. Um, there, you know, over, during the GP, there were a few people that were DQ'd because they had just like without knowing they bought four cavernous souls that were counterfeits and yep. they like had no idea um, that that's what they were getting stuck with and they you know were dq'd or kicked out of the tournament uh because of that um and you know it's becoming a really hot button issue this goes on the same side as you know we uh, modern prices have gone up now i I do think the like since the beginning of the year modern has gone up 15 percent or whatever is a semi-unfair statistic partly just because that's true every year because at the beginning of the year in january and december is modern's Dark it like is its lowest point. There yeah. we're, we're four months out of the PT or the PPTQ season where modern is the format. We're in a new standard environment where rotation just happened. On top of that, the rotation the, the environment we're having is exciting because it's normally a new set or block, so people are excited about that. Uh, Christmas is also the lowest point in magic prices the over the year. Every just, year, just year in because general, people aren't buying magic cards because magic cards, gen- especially magic singles, because magic singles do not make good Christmas gifts. Because I don't know about you guys, but my mom has absolutely zero idea on which magic staple she should be buying me. Uh, in fact, we've argued on the podcast that I think moving commander to the summer is a great mistake because they were the best possible magic Christmas gift I've ever received. Because um, it's really easy to understand how to buy that, and that's no longer a thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that there's just, you know, the, the, the looking at the beginning of the year as a point of like modern has increased since then. Every all of magic has increased since then, you know, with, since since the beginning of, of that season, there was a modern there's been two modern pro tours. There's been an entire we're in the middle of a modern PPTQ season. There has been, you know, just in general, card prices have gone up because that's what happens every year. I, I think so. There's a couple points that are introduced in this article. and I highly recommend reading it. It's a great article. Yeah, It's linked um, in the episode show notes. Um, everywhere, everywhere there's show notes for this episode. I think don't read it while driving podcast listeners. What's important <laughs> is that he points out right at the beginning. It, it's obvious to him that counterfeits are not good for the game, right? He's saying like that that's clear. And I think it's obvious to all of us, to any of us in this room, any, anybody who is deeply invested in magic's history, competitive play, content creation, where the history and credibility of the game is so important to us. 
Obviously, I don't want fake magic cards running around. It's not the way magic's intended to be played or I distributed. Don't, I, don't, I don't know if I agree that everyone of sound mind... Is. Really? Yeah, like we. So, what the, the other reason we are doing this episode today is because over the weekend, uh, someone wrote a very long and in depth post. We won't shout out names, uh, but you can check it out on the Facebook group. Um, it's on the Masters of Honor Facebook group, which you just go and sign up. It's like got like 300 comments. Yeah. You'd probably find it pretty fast. Uh, and basically, his point was like, you know, all this this conversation of counterfeits screw everyone else this is what we should be making uh you know it's wizard's fault because they're not making cards cheap enough and therefore i'm gonna be counterfeiting the game as much as i possibly can and in that thread you know i would say that 80 percent of people are on the side of like this is wrong this is incorrect here are the reasons this is incorrect but there's at least a 20 percent uh, part of the group who's arguing that you know this is Wizards' fault. They're the reason that these cards are so expensive, and because they can't reprint cards in a manner that is timely enough for me, I'm going to counterfeit them. And th- it is not only a very short-sighted way of looking at kind of what's happening here, but also a kind of misunderstanding of why Magic's is as good as it is and succeeds in the way it does, as well as why Magic prices are as expensive as they are. You know, the, it, there's a there's a reason why the reprint policy is it being paced as the way it is. And obviously there were some missteps where they printed two sets in a row that had pretty medium sized reprints. But in that same year they had magic 19 reprinted two of the most expensive cards in the format. And you had uh, battle bond reprinting expensive cards. And yes, some of the cards that were printed, those other sets were problematic, but they were still good reprints in both of those sets. They just were underbought because we have gone into a draft fatigue um, that's just been happening because they've been releasing draft formats every three months or every three months on top of the standard release cycle. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't, there's not an easy fix for this problem. That's the point, right? That's the point that has been suggested here is that if there was an easy snap your fingers way to make everybody happy, it would be done by now. There, there obviously isn't. And, you know, as, well, as you're, there's as two you're problems. mentioning, I mean, the problem of counterfeiters is, you know, you go after every single one of them and the community makes a promise together to not buy them. But if you're talking about there's not an easy fix to the cost of modern as a format, the whole, the whole entire conversation, it's not like, like, like what you're saying is right. there's a lot of people that are sound mind that don't believe necessarily that counterfeits are the worst thing for the game. There's that there is a, a sect of our community that believes that. And if that's the case, there truly is not an easy fix because that means going after the counterfeiters. I mean, this feels in some ways similar to like when Napster first came out and it was like, okay, we can try to persecute all of these people who want to distribute this music for free. But eventually it was like more and more people figured out how to distribute the music for free. And the and those people and Metallica who persecuted Napster in the first place kind of ended up looking bad. So it's like if Wizards is not going to make the cards more accessible to those people who can't afford them. But there's them, a fundamental difference between those two things because right now you can go play other magic, uh, other card games. Like as a, as a CCG or a TCG that's out there, there are not only hundreds but thousands of card games you can go play. Yep. But th- magic will not be produced if the community supports fix. Magic will go under or will become a purely... T- uh, Digital. Digital game, which I don't think any person is looking for it to do. Uh, and I don't even think it wins in that space. I okay, think if, me... if, if it's Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro versus Blizzard and Hearthstone going neck and neck against each other, the only thing that Wizards has going uh, going for it is the fact that they are also the paper game that people love and is one of the best games ever created. And this would physically kill the game. Totally agree. So I, I to make it absolutely clear, I'm not arguing for any of the benefits of counterfeits. I'm trying to play devil's advocate to understand it. Yeah, because yeah. I, I am confused why there would be so many people who I feel like understand this economy and this game that seem to be in support of some version of counterfeits. Um, so I had a train of thought. Oh yes, this is this is it. You and I always compare magic to golf, right? It's uh, 
in the sense that it's a, it's a more expensive game. Mm-hmm. It takes some upfront cost, uh, and it's a little slow. But if you understand it, it's a brilliant, wonderful game. Well, if I could fashion my own golf club or buy a knockoff cheap golf club, I can still play golf. It's not, there isn't only one maker of golf clubs. It's, so it's in that sense, if you're comparing it to the expensive gentleman's game in that sense, it's not the same thing, right? Like you, you have to be, you are beholden to this one company to buy the cards. If you can't get it from, no, you can play Yu-Gi-Oh. You can go play Pokemon. You can go play seven, uh, not seven. What's the legend of the five rings? Legend of the five rings. Okay, sure. But I can play soccer. I can play baseball. If I want to play golf, which is a unique product, I can get my golf clubs and my golf balls from a million places. I can only get my magic cards from one maker. There's the difference. So if that one maker is intrinsically uh, destroying destroying some amount of like the accessibility to the game by the way they're printing these cards. Well, but this that's that's like I, I disagree on the fundamental because you can go play standard, you can go play draft, you can go play commander, you can go play limited. You don't have to play modern. Like True. what you're True. like the modern gameplay is me playing golf at the Riviera Country Club or yeah, in right. one of the nicest golf courses on the planet. That's what modern is. I mean, legacy is more of that, and the modern is the mid tier of that. But you can go to a three part course anytime you want, which is standard. You can go play with bad golf clubs, and then you can go play standard. You also don't have to play in the Pro Tour. You don't have to play at GPS. So Those are have- all things that if you're trying to compete at that level, because you can go to a modern tournament tomorrow. Actually, the best example of what you just described is me going and playing Mono Green Stompy in a modern tournament. That's totally available and is a uh, less than $100 deck for you right now. Totally but, but if you want to win at golf and if you want to win at Magic, you need to be investing into ex- the more expensive products available to you to get your game to the next level. And if you want to go lose at a golf tournament, go ahead. So what do you think Wizards' response should be to the counterfeit problem that we currently I think have? they need to... I think the community response needs to be a total outcry against anyone using counterfeits, period. I think Wizards' response is what they're doing, which is going after counterfeiters. You know, it's, it's not the responsibility of ourselves to do that. You know, we, we need to keep on the lookout. We need to let people know that are in the community that when they are proposing that counterfeits are okay for different reasons, that they're not. Uh, the same way we did, the same way that happened with cheaters back in the day, yep. the same way that you do that with other problems within the community that has happened over the last two years. Um, and counterfeiters in that same space. And I, in fact, I would say anyone who is avidly arguing for counterfeits as a positive thing for the community is comparable to someone arguing that it's okay to cheat. I would agree. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I don't think there's any. De- de- I don't think that counterfeits are in any way defensible. Um, I mean, and le- le- like, let's walk through. Let's walk quickly through like what happens if the market is flooded. Magic is worth ten dollars. Yep. You can buy any Magic deck you want for $10 because you're just paying for the actual cardboard it's printed on. Counterfeits are everywhere, or Wizards just floods the market with those cards. And, I mean, the first thing is, I want to say, and this is a low estimate, 60% of card stores just go out of business tomorrow. Not only Sorry, that, say, say that a little slower. 60% of card stores and local gaming stores go out of business tomorrow. Not to mention, 100, not 100%, but 80% of content creators go away. You have fam like we would survive because <laughs> we're not really making a ton of money off of the the sale of magic product. But ninety percent of all of the articles you read, pro players interacting with it. And if you want to look what this looks like, go look at Pokemon. There's two paywall based sites that make actual competitive Pokemon content, and everything else is fan made. You know, 
D-grade content is compared that because, to Magic stuff. Is that because Pokemon has a massive counterfeit problem? Uh, it's because Ma a Pokemon's secondary market it doesn't exist. Like the, the reason that Magic has more than Hearthstone, more than Overwatch, more than pretty much any other content cre uh, game out there, more like content online. I can go to 60 different A-class websites that are creating content for me every single day. That exists because of the secondary market. That goes away tomorrow. Well, that's why it's such a unique product, right? I mean, the secondary market is what defines Magic as, as a long-term game. Um, it's something that none of the other games really have. It's also why, it's also why Magic gets to be the long-term investment that it is. Uh, right. And we're going to talk about the reserve list in a second, the pros and cons, because again, it's sort of part of it. Um, so, so one of the one of the things that I think you know, stepping back for a second, that when you're talking about flooding the market and what happens, you have to differentiate here between two different subjects. One of them is modern, which we know that Wizards has total ability to reprint cards to a point, right? On the other hand, Commander, Legacy, just Collectors, that's a whole different market. It's not, there's no accessible way to reprint those old cards, especially the ones on the reserve list, ones that are of a high power level. So what I'm trying to figure out, what I'm curious about is, mm -hmm. what do you, so, so should we just define what the reserve list is really quickly for, for yeah, those for that it. don't know? The reserve list is a list of magic cards that was originally introduced back in 1996 by Wizards of the Coast. It was in response to the printing of Chronicles, which was the first major reprint set uh, that existed. And Chronicles took a lot of cards from Legends and a lot of the older cards from those first sets, whiteboarded them, made them readily, readily available, and in one printing, almost completely tanked magic. It's the earliest example of the community crying out and saying, you know what, I invested all this money in these dual lands and all these expensive cards... Who am I to know that you're not going to just reprint Black Lotus in the next one of these sets? So Wizards came out and they said, this is a list of cards we will never reprint. Uh, it was updated again in 02, and then finally, the last time, just in the last few years, because originally you could reprint some of those reserve list cards in foil and judge program reprints, they've now eliminated that completely. So the full list now is totally protected. No supplemental right, products. A, a loophole. I mean, the, 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 everyone's like, oh, we should get rid of the reserve list. And they don't understand why it exists and why wizards can't go back to policy. I don't know where to find this, but someone wrote a really in-depth breakdown on Facebook. Uh, maybe Michael will link to it in the chat because I think he's the one who told me about it, if you can find it. But basically, the idea is just calculating, because we know how many underground seas are in the world. We know. And if you calculated the total value of underground seas, it is much more worth much, much, much more than the entire value of Hasbro, the corporation. And if you look at the class action lawsuit that just making underground seas being able to be reprinted, not the rest of the reserve list that yeah. could be putting Hasbro up for, it would put them out of business tomorrow. And so if you calculate all 10 dual lands, the power nine, yeah. everything else yeah, on the reserve crazy. list, like it, the, the argument of they should get rid of it, it would be better is something that they physically can't do. Not only that, but that's, that's a fallacy. It's incorrect. There's a part of magic, again, when we talk about the secondary market and why it's so important to the game, the... The whole entire concept of Magic the Gathering, it's like, compare it to any other collectible, right? Like, you have to have the original part of that collectible be respected. Otherwise, the heritage of this thing that is so special becomes diluted and it ceases to be what it is. Magic having that history, Magic having those first few years of cards that are like the Babe Ruth rookie mm -hmm. cards, the Action Comics number ones, it's why it gets to be on par with things like comic books and like coin collecting and like these classic, classic things right. where there is actually a history to it. A Black Lotus selling for $90,000 is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, it's like if you want to be able to play with classic cards, play Magic Online. 
You can play with Black Lotus on Magic Online. You can do it. It's you can do that. It doesn't cost you ninety grand. Cost like two hundred bucks. Yeah, it's possible. You can if you want to play it in a cube at home. Buy from the proxy guy, one of these places that is clearly not for sale. Yeah, the, the issue, and then we've had a few people mention this in the chat, and we'll eventually go through this, is what's the difference between someone writing the words Ugin on the back of a card and putting it in a card sleeve and playing with friends versus doing a proxy thing that you're going to tournament? There's, there's two issues with it. The first one, and, and we've said this on the podcast, don't buy a modern deck until you've tested it with proxies. Like, print out bad cardboard, you know, or write them out on cards, try a deck out because it is an investment to buy into it and practicing with those cards with proxies is fine. The issue becomes when you're going to a tournament, the issue becomes when you're trying to sell those cards off as real cards. And there's two levels of that issue. One is it destroys all faith within the economy of the business, which puts people in a position where they get DQ'd from tournaments for four car- for cavern souls being, you know, fake cards in their thing. Make cool looking different versions of cards to play with casually. Fine. Not trying to dissuade you from doing that. What we're just waiting people from doing is looking to actually make tournament looking legal cards to try and get past that barrier to entry when the cost of doing that is to be a part of the magic if community. If you write a sharpie on the back of your card to practice it, you're not profiting from that. So it's right. different. If you're selling something and passing it off as a real good, you're profiting from it. That's I mean, you are creating you are creating value from nothing, which is not something that you're really able to do in the world unless you discover a commodity. So a fake thing is not a commodity. I suppose to the people that are making it, it seems that way, but I agree with you. It kills magic long term if... Well, so I mean like, okay, so so we, we, we were at the first two steps. All of content creation dies that's not from Wizards of the Coast or from fan sites. Um, all... 60% of stores that aren't limited focus or at least have magic casually on the side. So like your local board game store will survive because they're going to sell the board games they do and they'll just have their like once a week draft of magic. So those two things go away. With those gone, Wizards of the Coast loses a significant amount of their development team, a significant amount of their production team. The art goes down the drain because they can't afford to do different art for every card. And the amount of products released every year goes down from the once a month that we currently have to four at best. And at that point, does Wizards just make the decision, you know, we're no longer one of these profitable divisions of Hasbro. Why are we making, you know, going through the effort to even have this size of team and why not we don't, why don't we just go to a full digital product? And on top of that. And then the community around Magic dies. And on top of that, all of the old investments and all the Magic cards that you spent money on tank. Like you, well, I'm not even getting into the subject matter of the amount of people that have now invested their money and time in the magic who lose their life savings, they lose their time, they lose their business, they lose, or even just the fact that they lose all the money they spent on the game. And you buying counterfeits is directly, basically stealing from those people, your friends who have also played this game with you, because yep. you decided you needed to be able to play this $1,500 deck versus this $300 deck. Now, this gets into the next part of the conversation. Uh, I'm adding, so the, the conversation we talked about with Michael, the article about someone breaking down down like the value of the reserved list and different yep. pieces of that. I'm linking to it in the show notes. Uh, you can't show it in the Facebook chat. So it will be in the show notes for the episode everywhere the episode is posted. Michael, can you, uh, as our producer today, just make a note to remind Alex to get that to me because I'll be putting this episode up and I need oh, it's to have in, that it's link. In the, it'll be in the episode description for the live stream. You just copy and paste it. Got it. it everywhere. Perfect. Okay, great. Um, so now we, we describe what the reserve list is, right? So that's, there's like, it's like 600 cards. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but it's not a lot. And the cards only go up through like 1999, maybe. I think like Urza's Legacy, Urza's Saga, those are like the last couple sets. I don't even think Urza's Destiny has a card on the reserve list. Maybe it does. I, actually, maybe Powder Keg is on the reserve list, so. I think Powder Keg is also Destiny. Pretty sure it is. 
Uh, but yeah, that's, so it goes through the Urza's block. That's it. There's, I don't think there's a single Mercadian Masks card on the reserve list. Or if there is... So it's basically done before the turn of the century. We're almost 20 years removed from this reserve list. So there's a couple things to point out that are going on right now in Magic Finance. Um, one of them is the fact that the reserve list is now becoming a commodity in itself. Uh, in a way that it never was before. Like there used to be Black Lotus and the Moxes and, and your underground seeds and you know your various cards that had really high value. And then there was a breakdown into the secondary stuff on the reserve list that had some value. Like take like cards like like a card like Palancron maybe or something that was like playable in Commander. People mm-hmm. wanted to have the card that was maybe a little you know a little above average. But what you're seeing now is even things that for years and years and years rares from Visions or Mirage that were forty cents or a dollar. They're spiking to $4, $5, $10, $15. And it's happening every single day. So what it's finally really reminding us of is the fact that this old part of magic is a collectible. It's not just a game. It's commons from Arabian Nights that are $30, $50, $100. People want to own this part of history. And every single week and every single month as there become more and more players that are getting into Magic the Gathering, that are learning the game and becoming fans of the game, those old cards get more and more valuable. And the divide between stuff that can be reprinted and stuff that can't be gets wider and wider. So we're really dealing with systemically two problems because one of them is sort of fixable by Wizards. If Wizards wanted to find a way, they can make modern cards more accessible. They, they can be creative. They can do whatever they want. They can, they can tank the market well, I, if they I want would, to. I would argue through things. One, Wizards tanking the market would be bad for Magic. I've kind of explained why But they are times. legally be... able to print those cards in Oblivion if they want to is my point. If they want. Cor- correct. Though there's arguments that the letter of the promise of what the reserve list is about is that Wizards has promised to not tank the market ever. Like, that's what Wizards doesn't ever want to do. And yes, those exact cards are what's on the actual law. But if Wizards started printing policy that just was like, oh, any card that's expensive, we're going to print into the ground every day, that becomes problematic for Magic in general as well. But the, 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 the other issue that you run into, or not even an issue that you run into, is... The statement that Wizards isn't doing a lot to reprint cards, I think, is just a fallacy. Now, if you look at this breakdown, you know, look at what they did with Tarmogoyf. Look at what they did with other cards. Now, there's some cards that they need to print more of, and I actually agree. The chat brings up that just one of the problems I think that Wizards has is that when they released Modern Masters 1, it was released at a $7 SRP, and then every single retailer on the planet just started selling it out of the box at $10 to $15. And so they realized, what's, why would we... Just leave those dollars on the floor. The next packs are worth 10. I think we've gotten to the point where they need to bring it back down to seven. I think $7 for a pack, that means for $21, you could do a draft. You can pay for your draft pod of of a master set. Brings those packs and the values of those packs down to a more realistic price point. As Um, opposed to right now, they're 10? Right now, they're 10 to 12. Michael, person who ran a store, master's packs are about retail at 10. But like, for instance, like when we were there doing these chaos drafts at the GP... I was buying packs of Iconic and Iconic and Masters 25 for eight bucks because they were not as heavily in demand. Correct, because they no longer people are like, oh man, I really need these. And I think the, the other thing is, and in, in maybe Wizards focusing a little bit more of adding more value to each of these packs. Part of the problem, though, is sometimes Wizards does put value into these packs, but as soon as they print them, they tank. Like you have the, uh, you just have these commons and uncommons that are worth a lot of money because they haven't been available for 10 years. But as soon as you reprint them, they're no longer the supply demand issue that there was and they go back to being worth nothing. Right. Urza's bobble goes from being 50 to $4. Right. And so like in, in that environment, 
when you look at the packs now, the value of that pack is not super high, but that's because they printed this pack and these cards are no longer worth a ton. That's also true of a lot of the commander staples they printed through this, which is kind of the issue is that they focused a little bit more on too many casual products than they necessarily have on competitive products. But it's not like they haven't made a focus to kind of start reprinting this, as you can see with Scapeshift, as you can see with... Um, the, the, for me, the big one is... If you look at modern, you look at the, I think you have a list of the 20 or so most played or most expensive cards, right? Mm -hmm. There's only um, one card on this entire list that hasn't seen any actual reprint, excluding, um, uh, uh, not treasures, um, expeditions, expeditions, not expeditions. There's a overall king card. master Mises. There, there's one card that was reprinted as a masterpiece, but otherwise every single card here has been reprinted other than through the breach. Is the top card on the list that card? No, <laughs> top card on the list is Mox Opal. And that's never seen a reprinting, has it's it? It's seen a, yeah, it was M15. Mar Masters M15. It was one of the mythics. And then it was sure? also, yeah, I am absolutely sure. I really? have a copy of that card. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that Mox Opal was back in, M in Modern Masters 2. Modern Masters 2, Mox Opal was one of the cards in it. So you can buy those blue, those blue cardboard package packs and they have Mox Opals in them? Correct. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, there's six of them in there. Uh, Literally on the Veil was printed in MM17. Engineered Explosives is really high right now, and that was printed. The last time that was printed was MM13. Um, there's also been promos of all of these. There's an MPS promo of Mox Opal and Engineered Explosives. Lily on the Veil was the uh, promo for the yeah, RPTQ. R RPTQ, yeah. Um, but so the only card that Through the Breach is currently at, and it's the only one without a printing. And to be totally honest, if they printed through the breach in a MM seventeen, it would or MM nineteen, yep. uh, it would probably tank. Yeah, it's not. It's played in one deck, two decks, really. It like it probably won't go down to nothing, but it'll go down the same way Scape Shift, and it'll become a twenty to twenty five dollar card is like 10 versus bucks the now. currently fifty two dollar price tag. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of these are new. You know, Vengevine spiked, but Vengevine... And that's the other thing, is there's cards on this list that are cards that... Of course. It's impossible for Wizards to predict that Vengevine is going to become a thing again. To anticipate it, yeah. And, and, and look, when they did anticipate it, Jace the Mind Sculptor, for example, Jace would be way more than the $84 it, it is right now if they didn't print it into... Uh, not M25. Yeah. Um, because just... He was a hundred dollar card before that set was printed. When modern was being banned in modern, yeah, like and the highest he ever got to was like two hundred, I think, at one point. Uh, during two hundred and fifty, yeah, was at one point. I think the highest, the Crazy. top end. Um, when I was buying into miracles. If you look at this top, so so, so read off the list first to last. Just read it in order. Here you go. Uh, first to last or last to first? I think uh, last to first is more yeah, interesting. Sure. Last to first. Town towns. Uh, number 25 is Arid Mesa at uh, $41. It was at its peak 60. Marsh Flats, 41, peak 55. Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, the only standard card here. Uh, 43, 43. Uh, Misty Rainforest was 47. You missed Ravager there. Oh, I did. Ravager was 47. Uh, Misty Rainforest after that is at uh, 47 as well. Uh, Blackleaf Cliffs is at 48. Ugin the Spirit Dragon at 48. Leyline of the Void at 50. That just peaked uh, Vengevine at 50 as well. Chalice of the Void at 51. Through the Breach at 52. Verdant Catacombs at 53. Celestial Colonnade at 55. Horizon Canopy at 60. Dark Confidant at 63. Tarmogoyf at 68. Snapcaster Mage at 71. Uh, Scalding, Scalding Tarn at 80, Noble Hierarch at 80, Jace the Mind Sculptor at 84, Cavern Souls at 85, Karn Liberated at 95, Engineer Explosives at 95, Liliana Veil at 97, and Mox Opal at 104. Um, 
And there's a few things to take a note here. One is if you were, there's a lot of cards on this list that you had ample opportunity if you've been playing modern for any extended period of time that you could buy in pretty easily at, at one point or other. Noble Hierarch was at 20 bucks, I think, at its bottom. Uh, I wish he had the bottom here. I think that actually would have been really interesting to see. Um, same as Leyline, Vengevine, Chalice. Uh, all of the fetch lands were at $10 when Modern Masters 2 came out, 3 came out. Um, it would be interesting if it would be interesting if one of these third party retailers like a Channel Fireball or a Star City, one of the ones that has enough capital and stock, mm-hmm. if they had like some sort of like credit or payment program on the cards where you would like buy a deck at a certain price and like make payments on the deck. Now obviously it's problematic because like the price of the deck would change and go down and the cards would go up or down, so like yeah, you have to lock that, in the price. They're like Things that are illegal in real finance that are in that level, oh, really? they're like you'd have to like be careful <laughs> because every piece of it's so volatile. Volatile that yeah. like, and like, what happens if I borrow? I do the lending program with the deck, and then wizards reprints that card into the ground. Yeah, like what if I like invested or like you know borrowed against a uh, scapeshift deck? Yep. And the most expensive card in that deck at that point was Scapeshift. And that card is now worth $10. So is my, do I still have to pay Channel Fireball back for the Scapeshift? Yeah, totally. You right. would have to, I mean, that's the thing is if they made it available, you'd lock in the prices. But then, that you set then, up for. then Channel Fireball is like a securities company and then they have to deal with the lawsuit. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. it's, uh, it's, it's fair. It's a fair point. Dangerous I, space to play in. I think, I think rental companies do exist, though. There are many companies out there that let you rent decks for a tournament if you like need to play Junt at the next tournament and you don't want to buy buy Liliana's and Tarmogoyfs, you can go to one of these websites and lease the deck from them for yeah. a weekend. Yeah, I remember talking about starting a business with John Van Druten years ago. Never yeah. did it, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but talking about that list, I think there are certain cards on there that are going to be harder to find ways to reprint. For me, the easiest thing, uh, they well, have the to find a way... That was the reason they brought corsets back, is because they ran into the problem of reprinting cards into standard because every standard set needed to be on flavor. And the Inquisition of Kozlak is the best example of it where it was literally in the design file until the moment they realized that not one Eldrazi-focused card didn't have the void, just as a rule for the set. And so they're like... Now, should Wizards be as sticklery on those issues? I personally don't think so, but I understand why they are, and it's respectable to do that. But now that corsets are back, they can reprint Inquisition to close lock anytime they want. Yeah. Um, so, I guess one of the things I'm wondering about is, of the cards on this list, of these top 25 modern cards, because we are a modern show, so obviously... Um, oh, that, and that list was provided by Jim Casal. Yeah, so obviously, you know, there's... At- the, for at frost underscore on yeah. Twitter. The reserve list part of this conversation and those spiking prices, it's not really a conversation that's necessary on this show because that's a kind of a magic finance conversation and none of those cards are modern legal. Um, the reserve list cards? Oh, reserve list, sure. Whereas the modern conversation is a lot more relevant. So the easiest cycle on that list that reduces the, the price of modern on the whole is the fetch lands. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's to me, you know, finding a way to reprint Mox Opal is a big one, but like that's a single reprint in a single set. Finding a way to keep the total value of the fetch lands lower, like because right now the range, the range is basically forty to eighty. I think Misty's the cheapest. Could uh, they reprint the fetch lands in? Could they reprint the fetch lands in Ravnica? Uh, I mean, I can do whatever they want. It doesn't. Well, no, but I mean, like on a flavor perspective, they th- couldn't do it probably because the shock lands are uh, coming back, and also and fetch you- lands aren't good for. Well, they did it in cons. They're not terrible for gold environments. 
I don't think you. I want, think they're bad with check lands. You don't though. want okay. fetches and shocks in the same. There aren't. There aren't. I'm saying. Oh, I'm saying instead. Instead of shocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that like an interesting play that they could do? Because they're like related to each other intrinsically, but uh, not through flavor, but through the history of magic. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're getting shocks. But I think like. That's the point. Like, fetches aren't going to be printed in standard anytime soon, then. We have at least two years until fetches are printed in standard, and maybe that's one of the reasons they spike so hard. That's the other thing, is there's expectations of where, what Wizards was right. going to do, and cards will deviate their prices based on those expectations. For instance, shocks went down in price as soon as Return to Ravnica, the second, happened. And right. it happened when the first Return to Ravnica happened. They were $50 cards, and they went down to $30 cards overnight as soon as they were like, we're going back to Ravnica. And that was just the buy price. The sell price was tanked to $6. I remember selling $6. Um, what's the red-white Shockland? Sacred Foundries? Sacred Foundries. Yeah. When they were like, I could buy them from them would cost them me 40 because they were just expecting them to be printed to the ground. Yep. So those expectations can affect the cost of cards. Majorly, yeah. So that kind of covers the reserve list. It covers the expectation for modern reprints, um, why yeah, so we think they're expensive. And let's, I want to go uh, next to the chat and okay. read some of the things that they were saying, especially about counterfeiting and kind of go through the different arguments that they have. Before we they, get into that, I do want to just do a couple quick shout outs. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to remind everybody here, guys, we mentioned it earlier in the show. Patreon.com slash the MMCast is how you can help support the show. Every week we're going to be giving away stuff. So like this uh, Arid Mesa here that we're giving away was opened in a pack war that is uh, a part of the live stream. So if you ch- tune into the show when we go live every week, uh, one of the winners, either the live stream or the Patreon, will win those cards uh, as well, complete with a, a free grimoire we're giving away, which is the cool box that we opened it in, made by Wizardry Foundry. Um, so check out patreon.com slash the MMCast. Another thing that I would like to announce is that I'm going to be starting streaming Moto very soon. I announced my, uh, my, my username yesterday for Twitch, which is Ben Bateman Streaming, so go follow that. You'll get your first notification of me going live in the next week or two here. But I'm very close to starting that up, so... Check that out. We mentioned battle bosses, uh, and I think for now those, those are the major shoutouts. So let's go to the chat. All right, let me bring up Jim Casals thing really quick because I want to see something cool. Um, chat, chat. Uh, and the play slide did a weird issue. If I sit down, this is from Aaron High. A weird if, issue. If I sit down in a commander game with a land that has Ugin written on it and no one bats an eye, but I printed it on a blank card playing card to make it look real that's somehow fraudulent and the difference between these which we explained is basically that you run into the issue of tricking people into buying cards that they think are real but are not um and that builds a distrust within the market of magic which is what begins this process it make starts it out as people getting ripped off and cheated and then they feel bad and then they stop playing magic and or the confidence of people being willing to pay for cards tanks the price of cards then killing these things that we discussed. Yeah, on top of that, guys, to point out really quick with the counterfeits, as pointed out in this article, the counterfeits get better and better every week, but still currently... If you hold the card in your hand and you know what a magic card feels like, you will be able to tell that the card feels weird or fake. So it's really a question of be, like inside a sleeve, inside a deck, in a game, it's very hard to spot them. Right. That's the problem right. with them is that they're good enough that if they're sleeved up and you're playing them in a tournament, they're pretty hard to, pretty hard to get. Um, personal, personally, counterfeits I think are fine as long as it's not a competitive event because for Cube and Commander it saves money because people don't want to buy $80 cards when you need 100 of them. If they are actually... Uh, they're actually like made available as like this is this is a counterfeit like this is a this is an alt art is card a- that I made it says on the back not for sale that's totally different and if you right. want to sell that like unique variant on a magic card on eBay and you want to 
it's an open market and people want to buy it as long as it's not recognized as a real I don't card. Know. You can't you you can't even sell that. So that's that's also illegal. Uh, what you can do is play with it. And like in the proxy uh, proxy MTG guy, I forget his exact Twitter, the does giveaways. Guy? The proxy guy yeah. gives gives away. He does really cool artwork on it. You can play with these cool looking cards. The issue is not playing with them. The issue is selling them. And the issue is tricking people into buying cards they think are real that are fake. That's where the counterfeit issue becomes its hardest because it's not about oh I don't my commander deck I don't want to buy uh, the a foil um, guy's cradle because they're really expensive. But here I'm playing with a grayed out printed black and white version or even a like cool one my friend with really cool Photoshop skills did where he made yeah. the like the life pod from Guardians of the Galaxy into a Gaia cradle or a Gaia's cradle looking card. So big, big shout to Travis Nestor who just said his earlier comment wasn't meant to do anything other than play devil's advocate. I relate to you, man. I that's what the start the show started today and uh, a lot of the conversation is centered around sort of this idea that just because you're of sound mind and you love magic and you respect it, it's still okay to ask those questions. I, I think it's important to ask those questions because to truly eradicate the problem, we have to get full community support. So and, people and that are smart that don't want to have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, like if you play Commander, Underground Sea is priced out if you are just a regular working stiff. It's $1,200. Yeah, but you also don't need to play Underground Sea in Commander. There's, like no deck is better than 1%. And that's even, I would say, an extreme... Ex- like, I think your deck is better by 0.3% by playing in Underground Sea. Excluding corner cases where you're playing stuff like High Tide, where you need that island card type. But even then, I would say you don't need it. And if, I mean, for Legacy, for Vintage, the duels, I get it. They're really, really expensive. So it's a, right. it's, it's a reasonable concern. But that's, again, why, that's why Legacy isn't really support... Vintage is not supported as far as tournament play does. And Legacy is barely supported except for special events where you get one to two GPs a year because people love the format. Yep. And you get one Pro Tour in my lifetime. Totally. And I, my lifetime, I mean, since I started playing Magic. Like, yeah. I, the, this last Pro Tour that had Legacy in it, and it was a team event where technically one player didn't need to play. You know, you had two other players that were doing it, so if you were one teammate that couldn't afford it, or between three players, you couldn't put together that amount of cards to borrow from your group of friends. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have stopped playing Legacy pretty much entirely. Well, that's why Modern was created. This podcast exists because Legacy, and, and that's a reserveless issue, which we've discussed isn't going away. And we were both Legacy players prior to Modern's existence. We yeah. both played Legacy in tournaments. Best SCG format uh, finish was, uh, was Legacy. Pox, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a super fun format, but it's just, you know, like, there are... You, it's not a supportable format from Wizards' perspective. It's just not. They can't. And, and the issue with making fakes for Legacy, because you see this argument a lot where it's, oh, but we'll just make le- fakes of reserveless cards. We won't touch any of the cards they're printing right now is, and I know this is like slippery slope fallacy, but it's literally happening. You can go to these groups and they're asking for current cards that are worth $15 to be proxied up that are modern stable cards or even standard staple cards because they've now gotten used to just buying proxies. And these guys don't really care. And yep. so they're going through the process of making these fakes for any card they want that has value. There are a ton of fake Teferi cards out there because he's worth $40 and in standard and people need him for standard. And that's where the problem is. People say they're going to stop at the reserve list, but they don't. Of course they don't. Of course they don't. If you're willing to make a fake magic card, why would the ethics involved with any level stop you from doing it further? Right, right. Like... And, and, and so then the next, this is what Travis Nestor's original comment was, and he was playing devil's advocate to, to establish. And his point isn't that wrong or uh, wrong to ask is, what about the idea of counterfeits existing to be a driving force between Wizards of the Coast to reassess the reprint policy? What the counterfeit market is going to do to Wizards is force them to go and litigate against these factories and these companies making them. It's not, their reprint policy isn't being decided by these counterfeit market prices. What will do that is speaking out, talking, you know, being loud on social media, talking to us during the podcast, being on stream, because we will... 
we are telling the world Wizards of the Coast should be doing master sets at $7 and having other content creators talk about it. You have a lot talking about right now modern is too expensive. On top of which, uh, I mean, it, I like maybe this is maybe this is wrong and maybe I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about here, but it's somebody who definitely works around original IP and products and we deal with lawsuits. Like this, we, we see people rip our stuff off. Yeah. Um, this is a thing that's getting enough attention. Hasbro is an enormous company. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to go to prison if this is like it's going. It's not going to go in their favor. Right. This is a this is a Fortune 500 company with a lot of money, and there's not enough money to be made on these proxies to justify the risk. That's eventually going to just it's just going to the bottom's going to fall out. Right. It's going to have to. Well, there, like it, and the issue isn't proxies. Though. You know, we're, we're bringing this up a lot, and the point is, do you want to try out your modern deck? kitchen table and testing to see if you want to play it or if you want to try a card like oh I want to see if Chalice of the Void is good in Merfolk I don't want to buy a Chalice of the Void because this is an off the ball idea and that card's really expensive but it could be good in the deck let me test with my friends and see if it's even worth it for totally. this tournament no problems with Sharpie proxies in your home that's a, that's a thing that we do when we test decks right. that's different even like even like I would even say color printed out pieces of paper that you cut out and slide in front of a card like the point is is the moment it becomes a card that you could trick someone into thinking is real and or the moment you try tricking people into thinking it's real to play in a tournament is the moment that you it goes from trying something out to theft and any card that is trying to look like a real card is doing that even if you don't mean to even if you're just like i just want my i like the look of real cards i want my cards to look real like do something that looks bad because like you're you're what if you lose your collection or you accidentally put that card in your trade binder and you like can't tell that this Aaron Mesa is the real one and this one's the fake one and you accidentally trade it to your friend and now that card that friend gets DQ'd from a GP uh, you know three months later and like that can even steamroll like and that friend's really good at magic and eventually gets on the pro tour and becomes a Hall of Fame person like oh that guy got DQ'd for fake cards ten years ago yeah, he's right. not going to be a Hall of Fame member so you're doing totally. that to your friends you're removing the Hall of Fame ability to you're get causing it. that's you <laughs> um, uh, so so. So yeah, um, Dragus Keller, they can print them in sealed product that are mass produced. They've done that. They do that in commander decks. Like the, there's a, this commander set specifically was probably not the best one. Um, and they like, there's issues with it and you can go to the command zone episode, our sister podcast that literally talks about that last week. Um, so we definitely recommend that where they go into kind of was M19 a failure of a product or not M19, uh, uh, commander, commander 19. Yeah. Um, and go to them for that. Cause that they know better than we do. Michael Grothy sent me the Facebook link that I put into the thing. Uh, Lucas Diewald says, what's up? What's up, Lucas? <laughs> uh, yeah. Duh, 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 there's a Saffron Olive article that's listed. Yeah, I think I think those are kind of the main point. Um, Reading, chat. Someone brought up the point that, like, casuals, if casuals are the only ones proxying or, or faking magic cards, it doesn't matter because they don't buy a bunch of product. And then... Uh, can your dome i'm never gonna pronounce people's names i don't know why i'm in charge of reading people's names off the chat uh mentioned that like casual the casual market is the largest kind of uh purchaser of magic cards on the planet right now and and has always been and so those are the exact people you don't want to be kind of doing this yeah i agree so Um, what's the let's let's rally behind as an issue this is something that as a community we need to stand against only you can prevent 
counterfeiters. Yeah, agreed. Um, so that's going to wrap us up, guys. If you want to follow along, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Bateman Media. I'm at the MMCast. I'm at Kess Wiley. The podcast is at the MMCast. Yep. Uh, and as we mentioned, check out the Facebook group. Please subscribe on YouTube, guys. It's a huge thing that's going to help us keep this thing going. If you're watching this, streaming live, subscribe. If you're hearing this, go just find us and subscribe, guys. Gigantic stuff coming for us in the near future. We're going to be adding additional shows, a lot of really cool stuff here. Uh, and then, you know, follow me on Twitch, Ben Bateman Streaming, because yep. I'll be streaming my fun brew soon. And congratulations to Trevor Gore. Gordon, uh, awesome Aaron Mesa. Plus, you got an extra pack out of it. Uh, make sure to message us on the Facebook page. So go to the facebook.com slash the MMCast. Message us there. There's a private message option. Yeah. Uh, that way we can get to you. If you don't have Facebook, there's Twitter. If you don't have that, uh, if you want to email us at um, marketing at cast.co. But that gets checked so much less than those other two things. So try to do those other two things. Yeah. I think, can you private message on YouTube? I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that. All right, guys. <laughs> thanks for watching. Uh, same time, same place next week. We'll see you guys soon. Bye, guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.